I just want to share about two moments of royalty um, uh, that have touched my, my family's life. And, and they, they express two different aspects or two different responses to royalty. The first one concerns um, about a week and a half ago when I went to a friend of mine. Uh, I'm getting to that age now. We're all celebrating 60ths. Uh, and so my sort of, I've got four, three really close mates. And one of them, uh, it was his, uh, his party. He had a very posh club down in, uh, in London. And we all met down there. And um, yeah, the one thing I, I, we, were wor- we, were, we were thinking about was, well, is his friend going to be there? So who's his friend? Is his friend going to be there? Probably one of his best friends, Tim's best friends, was a guy who was at university. I was in the same college as him at university. And he was in another college. And uh, they used to do drama together. In fact, they formed their own drama group. They decided not to do footlights. They thought they could do something a bit better. And so my friend Tim and Prince Edward uh, became mates throughout their life. And I thought, will the friend be there? And Sophie. And I, while we were having our nice little drinks and canapes and all that sort of stuff standing around, turned around and there was Prince Edward. Right? Just there. It's far away from me. Just that far away. I turned around and chatted to the rest of my mates. Not that I have any issues with Prince Edward or anything like that. He's an incredible guy. And, and, and Sophie's amazing. But my reaction was like, okay, you're fine, Prince Edward. <laughs> and I got on with things. And he was very, he didn't, you know, he wasn't trying to, you know, typical Prince Edward. He was low-key, just there with his friend. Incredible, really, really nice guy, actually. A few years ago, I've shared about this before, my, my, my daughter used to work at uh, Buckingham Palace and uh, her, her brother, James, they went to uh, uh, the Queen's 90th party in Buckingham Palace, where 2,000 of, the, uh, of the, the staff were there, plus friends, all that sort of thing. And the contrast was completely different, because they, they described the moment when they were in the room, all chatting and having their drinks or whatever, and then they knew, they'd heard, the Queen's coming. It was all, the Queen is coming. So they're in this room, and... And, and, and then suddenly some doors open and the, the queen comes in so right, with a couple of like, security guards, comes in. And she's you know, incredibly small. But there was, when she came in, immediately there was just a hush. There was an, an awe, a reverence. They didn't throw their cloaks down or anything like that, but there was a, there was a sense of reverence. It's, it's the queen. She's here. And uh, they were hoping as well that she would come and talk to them. And they actually did, she actually did come and talk to, to my daughter and, and my son. Um, as I said, my son didn't know whether to bow or curtsy, so he sort of did a, like this, he often describes. But, you know, two ro- royalty, two different reactions. Here we are in this situation of the king of kings coming into the midst of this place. Jericho. Some of you I know have been to Israel. Uh, a number of you mentioned about it in the past. Jericho is the lowest city on earth. I don't know whether you knew that. 800 feet below sea level. Um, so we've gone from Jericho and the story of like Zacchaeus, which was the main story used actually in here uh, in this, uh, this week. We've been focusing on Zacchaeus and the transformation of Zacchaeus' life. And Zacchaeus uh, was, the, if you like, the, one of the final acts of Jesus. Then there's some other miracles he did in Jericho. And then from Jericho, they move up to 3,000 feet above sea level. So a, a big, big march going uphill 
to Jerusalem. And what you've got to realize is what's going on here is the pilgrims used to do this on a regular basis throughout the year. But specifically this time of year was a powerful time. And so there was anticipation. There was exhilaration. There was the, the pilgrims gathering and walking and getting up there in the heat and, and, and um, look, coming together. They were looking forward to Passover where there will be a time of remembering when there was freedom. It was like Freedom Day is coming. The reminder of when we were set free all those years ago in Egypt. And, and, and there's, we're going to be partying. We're going to be celebrating. We're going to be eating. We're going to be being together. It's going to be an incredible time as we gather. And also, this will be the time of maybe, maybe, whisper it quietly. The king might be coming this year. The king might be coming this year. The king might be uh, appearing. And, and we've heard about this person, this Jesus. Somewhere around, he's, things have been happening. Maybe some have been in Jericho the last few days, or some have been around. The king might be here. The king might come. Something's happening. Something's bubbling away here. And so as they move towards Jerusalem, we suddenly have this moment when they're gathering there. The, 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 the pilgrims are together, ready to celebrate. And suddenly into the midst, Jesus comes. As we, we know the story so well, this is the shortest version in Mark 11, but where, where, where Jesus is coming in on a colt, on a donkey, and rides in. And as he arrives in, they, they probably would have heard the, 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 the prophecy from Jeremiah 9, uh, Zechariah 9, 9, where it says the king will arrive on a donkey. He's coming, don't you hear? He's coming, don't you know? And they're gathering around there. They're taking their cloaks off. And they're beginning to honor this king, Jesus, who's to come. And he's to be the the next one to take us on. The Messiah who's going to burst through against the the ruling Romans. He's going to do it. He's finally come. This is the moment as they praise this person on this humble donkey. They spread the cloaks. The only time they had spread cloaks before interestingly enough, was for the arrival of what they thought was another king. 200 years before, Judas Maccabeus had come after he'd, uh, he'd wiped out the, uh, the Syrians. And there he was. He was seen as the next king. But then it all fell away and nothing happened. And so we get this sense here of the dawning, not just of a king coming, riding on a donkey, fulfilling prophecy, but actually the arrival of a kingdom. A new kingdom, to the upside down kingdom was beginning to be established. That is what we're part of. We're a part of an upside down kingdom. Don't you know? The kingdom has arrived. Who is this king? They might be asking. Well, when we think of kings, when we think of queens, when we think of royalty, firstly we think of <coughs> usually palaces and robes. We think of Beauty and size and awesomeness. That's what we think of. I found myself looking at uh, <clears throat> the top 10 most expensive royal weddings that there have ever been. Now, obviously, quite a number of them have been taken up with this country, uh, with some big ones, <clears throat> as we know, over the years. But a Brunei prince, I think, managed to top it. £50 million was spent on one Brunei prince in uh, tw- 2004. Two weeks of celebrations, one gold, totally golden Rolls Royce. He came with his bride, 103 limousines 
followed him. Royalty, surely, kingship is all about that. About money, about robes, about palaces. Was Jesus like that? No, thank you, Steve. He was born in a stable. He was a refugee. We thought about that. When we're thinking about refugees, he was a refugee. The king of kings was a refugee. Is that not a challenge into our life about what we are meant to be called to be to the refugee? It says he had no home, nowhere to lay his head. He had no riches. Firstly, the call of kingship was to simplicity. The very opposite of the narrative of the world. A call to simplicity. A call to actually to be carrying Carrying things lightly, not holding on to the things of life, but actually holding on to the things of God. Firstly, a call to simplicity. Secondly, you think of power and servants. Uh, in lockdown, went to visit only about, there was hardly anybody there, but the, one of the best times to go to the Tower of London was the Tower of London in lockdown. And there was hardly anybody there, but going around there and just looking around the Tower of London, if you've ever been, I do recommend it. You know, when, when the king used to arrive at the Tower of London, he used to bring a thousand servants with him just to look after him, all right? Um, and, uh, just, and they used to travel around, literally, to different places, and they used to stop down, whatever. So when you think of power and servants, was, that the Je- was, was, that, was Jesus like that? No. We see him immediately after this going to that place of servanthood. He goes to the, um, and serves and washes his disciples' feet. He comes, as he says, not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. This is the king we worship. This is the king that we know. Simplicity. Servanthood. And finally, what do we think of when we think of royalty? We think of a crown. And a throne. We think of of that being the status. And yet, of course, we know, and we're going to discover this week, as we introduce ourselves to it, that the only crown that Jesus had ultimately was not like the St. Edward's crown that the Queen wears, which is which was originally melted down from one from the twelfth century, sixteen forty nine, for um, the king who loved partying as they say in Horrible Histories, King Charles II, 1649. He wears this crown that's almost beyond worth with the rubies on it. And yet with Jesus like that, no. The only crown he had was a crown of thorns stuffed on his head. And of course the throne was the cross. That was his throne. That was the, the, the where, place where the king of kings would take the ultimate weight of sin onto himself. And it's fascinating, verse 11, as he enters Jerusalem and he goes to the temple courts. So I love the way Mark sort of understates it. It says it slightly differently elsewhere, but he looked around at everything. And since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. He withdrew. He did the very opposite, which is like, I've arrived, I'm here, come on. Get the social media out. Get it popping. But no, he withdraws because he knows his place. I want to just challenge myself 
to what does it mean to serve and to follow this new kingdom? What does it mean to, to be involved in this upside down kingdom? Well, I believe that more and more in my own spirit, what he's calling us to is opposite to everybody else's view of what the king would be. The Jesus they saw, obviously within days, did not, they thought he would be the one that would usher in the kingdom. Immediately, those who were putting their cloaks down, we know, turned against him because he wasn't the king they wanted. And could it be that we want a king like that? Maybe a king that is available for us at every beck and call for us. The one that can be available to help us live our lovely, comfortable lives. I went to a funeral yesterday down in Somerset for my uncle. And something as basic as a funeral and remembering a funeral has been ripped away from those in Ukraine, hasn't it? I don't know whether you've read some of the stuff, but they can't even bury their dead. But so easy, it really reminded me how comfortable our lives are. And we want a Jesus who's a king of my life. Yes, Lord, we are king. We sing, oh, right and in majesty with some strange words in that hymn. But we sing that we want him to be king, but only of some bits of our life. But Jesus calls us to complete three things. Simplicity, servanthood, and finally sacrifice as he gave his life. And as I read this, as I thought about it, I thought the implications for my life, which is getting on and getting towards the end of its life. (laughs) Sorry to say it like that, but it is. But I want to go out. I want to go out with that sense of what? the king I worship and the king I know. However many years that might be. I want to I finish well. I'm not leaving, don't worry. But, you know, I want to finish well. Not just my ministry here, but my life. Because if Jesus did that for me, what can I do for him? The king of kings gave his life. And he calls me into something, um, <clears throat> something powerful, something fresh. And you know what? Our world is so stacked up with itself. It's so into itself that it's only going to take a bunch of radical people who understand about this Jesus, who understand that it's a call to simplicity, to servanthood, and to sacrifice. That will change anything. I genuinely believe it. Because the way we've been doing life, we are not, we're not seeing breakthrough, are we? We're not, seeing, you know, we're not living in a more peaceful world. Are we? We're not living in a more satisfied world. We're living in a broken world that is calling us to a fresh, upside-down kingdom. He's the king. He's the king of the universe. And as someone said, he's, he's not come to domesticate, for us to domesticate him, to look for comforting experiences to make us feel better about ourselves. You know, this week, I was really challenged by the Lord myself, and I share this with you openly. But there's aspects of my leadership, even, that I was thinking that the way I was doing leadership, certain aspects, I was actually making the church and being a church leader an idol in my life. And actually, I wasn't allowing Jesus to be king, a king who would actually bring, uh, bring a sort of leadership that comes out of rest, not out of being knackered, uh, of, of over-responsibility and various other things. I share it with you because I say that there are idols in my life. There are idols in our life which effectively are not allowing the truth of the King of Kings to truly, you know, mold my life. And I feel such a call on my heart for radical, 
radical sense of what he's calling us into beyond this Easter. And for us as a church, if we want to see the impact into our community, into our world, into our workplaces, wherever it might be, I think that's what he's calling us to. Of simplicity, what does that mean? Is it that actually I'm just accruing stuff, but maybe God's calling us into simplicity? Is it that actually servant-heartedness is not the thing? I want actually God to fit into my plans. Or I want other people to fit into my plans. Is it not he's calling us to a fresh level of service for him? Lord, what have you got for me? And, th- and, and thirdly, sacrifice. It's the king who has given his life that we might be free. And it's funny, isn't it? Because very often people think, well, becoming a Christian, follower of this king, it seems incredibly, it must be, people say to you things like, you know what, it must be so lovely for you to be a Christian. It must be such a, a comfort to you. Do you ever get that one? And yes, it is a comfort. But it's more. You know, actually, you know who we're following? We're following someone who is not safe, I'm afraid. It's a bit like that wall. It's not safe. <laughs> yes, it's a wall. And, and, and it's a very bad illustration in relation to Jesus. But you know what? He is completely safe. But he's not safe. Because actually, if we f- truly say, Lord Jesus, I surrender myself to your kingship, we're called into an unsafe, challenging place. Whether it's the challenge to share our faith when we feel like, help, I'm getting sweat on my armpits. I know I should share about my faith, but I'm not going to do it now. Or I'm going to actually trust God for this situation. It's not safe, but I trust you for this situation or this relationship. It's not a safe thing. You know the great, lovely quote that I'm going to read now from the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That moment when they're talking, I think it's the beavers and Susan. And Aslan, it says, is a lion. The lion, the great lion. Oh, says Susan, I thought that he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And that is the kingship that Jesus invites us into on Palm Sunday. He's calling us to radical upside downness. But please, please, let's not domesticate this king. Because we see this king goes on to the cross. And then, of course, the power of the resurrection, conquering death. He's no small thing. He is the king of kings that one day we will kneel before and we will honor and we will worship. I don't know about you. That's what I want to pursue. That's the king I want to know. And that's the king I want to surrender my life to and give my life to. However long it goes on for. Amen. Lord Jesus, I just offer that to you at the beginning of this amazing week. Thank you, Lord, that it is getting warmer. But Lord, I pray that actually we won't just enjoy the warmth of the sun when we're out on the in the garden or on the golf course or wherever it might be. We won't just enjoy that, but actually we will truly allow the warmth of the sun, S-O-N, to burn into our hearts, Lord. And that you will give us maybe a fresh calling into your purposes. 
For it is not safety you're calling us into. You're calling us into an adventure. And Lord, we want to finish that adventure well. In Jesus' name. Amen.